Good day. Hi, I'm Stefan Christoph, and this is a monthly interview with an artist that I share on some stations, uh, both FMAM stations in Montreal, the city, and also through the international broadcast of Radio Al-Hara, a Palestinian-led creative online radio broadcasting project that also is based in Bethlehem. So for this interview, I will be featuring a conversation that I had with Christine Francis, who is a printmaker, an art educator, and is very involved in the Just Seeds Artist Cooperative. Um, you can find them at justseeds.org. Uh, Christine recently has been helping organize a series of portfolios of images by artists around the world in support of Palestinian freedom and Palestinian human rights. Uh, so look that up through justseeds.org. This conversation is about an ongoing street art collaboration that I've been uh, holding uh, with Christine over quite a few years. Uh, we've been holding space together and creating street art, um, often using off prints from Christine to create lettering messages in support of um, social movements and calls for justice all around the world. I thought it would be cool to have um, a moment to share a conversation that is coming from a context of collaboration as part of this series. So here is um, the conversation with Christine Francis. So I guess often when we think about how street art interventions happen, maybe there's this um, vibe that there's a concept and it's executed and people just go out there and, and, and sort of assert a project. Our collaborations came from more organic uh, processes, which were like, conversations, friendship, um, experimenting with paper, um, and, um, a lot of like print, a, a lot of like print, um, projects that you had been involved in were, um, like reimagined, like you'd done all these different, uh, prints for exhibitions with animals, um, and also scrap paper, so yeah, I guess first to start, like I have these memories of like just going and wheat pasting a bunch of screen printed animals up in the city. Um, so yeah, maybe just share a bit about like what you're printing um, and then sort of this idea, like how do you feel about this idea of like taking prints and sort of reimagining them in a street art context, like cutting them up, um, intervening in the city, uh, this sort of experimentation of it. Yeah, um, I think I love the the like reimagining of of the prints and the um, you know the misprints and what we consider like I could consider like the leftovers or the like steps in getting to like the final project that I would have exhibited. So yeah, a lot of these prints were you know experimental. Um, and then some of them were actual prints that I had made, you know, to repaste like years before. Um, it was super interesting to me to, to have those like come together and have like this new life that you would create with the phrases that you would make um, or the compositions that you would make also in the alleyways. And, and then it was like super interesting as well um, 
you know, because some of this was, well, most of this was happening during COVID. And um, it was interesting for me or like it was it was cool to see that this was like happening. And then also hearing feedback like from friends who had like come across it was was really amazing. They were like, oh, my God, I think I came across this of yours. Like it was in this alley that I was walking by, you know, and. Yeah, and just the fact that walking was like such a important thing um, we were all doing in COVID just all by ourselves, kind of. Um, those like compositions that you made, I think, were like really important, especially at that time. Um, thinking, thinking through those things when people were feeling really isolated. Yeah, there was such a big sense of isolation. I think uh, walking in the city was so important for a lot of people. So street art interventions in that context, um, I think were important. Um, the sort of reimagining and remixing of your work in this street art context um, also, I, I guess, points to um, maybe an issue that a lot of people face, like if we're talking about like democratization of art practices, right? Like a lot of people have sort of this barrier between, okay, I have an idea for an art piece, but then like, how do you actually do it right like this comes up a lot in like community art workshops right like how do i express whether it's like a political expression or like a certain demand or even just an emotion like how do how do you express that in an artistic practice and i think what's interesting in reflecting a bit about this creative practice is it's very much about experimentation you know what i mean um and yeah so i'd also coming from you as an artist who has like found a way to like assert you know different projects or have exhibitions um some people look at that and are like oh well how does that really happen right so i i think it'd be interesting to hear a bit about that sort of because you talked about like all the experimentation and like misprints that go into arriving at a moment where you're like okay this is what i wanted to say but there's a whole process of getting there um yeah, so if you have any reflections about that process of getting there and sort of the experimentation involved in that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I go through it like every single time I work on a project. <laughs> and every single time I'm like, oh my God, this is shit. It's never going to work. Like, oh, like what if I produce this thing that's just like terrible? Um, and... And then, you know, I have this kind of moment where things like I'll like push further and like things kind of come together in a way that I'm happy with. But a lot of a lot of the time when I'm working on a project, I'll, I have this idea and of course I don't know what it like is actually going to look like. And so I'm like kind of working through different like visual manifestations of what that could be. And like a lot of times it'll start from a place that like it's like a very obvious or like it's just really cheesy or it's just like not working um and I'll kind of like move through those but in print I usually end up with a lot of <laughs> misprint paper because I'm usually working through an idea so and especially at that time um when I was at Concordia I was like whipping through so much paper um that I had brought with me uh, mostly because I had it was like very cheap um, printing paper. But also I was just working through different ideas and I didn't know how I wanted to make them look. 
And so there were so many <laughs> with like little marks. And then when I get onto things or something that I think will work, I always make like 5 million of them because I'm like, I'll post those up. I'll like paste them up. I'll make them into something else. So then I end up with an absurd amount of paper sometimes, which is why you ended up with all those like koi wolves and meerkats because I had also, it feels like once you have the print set up together, it's like, why not print 50? Uh, because you, you already have the thing, you have the setup ready and you can, so why not? Respect. Going to the point that you just mentioned about these animals, so koi wolves, meerkats, um, you're printing all these representations of animals that we don't often see in the city for city-based art. I know that there's some ideas behind that. Um, can you talk a bit about like how these animals came together? I know that you had like specific reasons that you chose different animals that in terms of their actual practices, like meerkats, for example. Part of this was like, I had, there was, there was that show, Meerkat Manor, uh, which like also like highlighted the like social interaction and social structure of meerkats. But I had also done research, like, independent from that. Um, and they have, they do have, like, a complex social structure uh, in which, like, they have, like, different jobs um, and they sort of, like, live collectively. They have these, like, series of interconnected tunnels. Um, but what I was super interested in or what I was using, like, image-wise in the early 2000s was um, they have these, like, sentinels, which are, like, the... They're like the ones that you usually see the the meerkats like standing up and they like look like their paws are tucked in and they're like looking around. Um, and they are actually like looking, they're the guards that guard against like predators. Um, and, and then, you know, would warn the rest of the group if predators were around. And I was especially thinking of that as this like watching, um, like watching for danger, but also like just constant vigilance which really felt like it was needed and important. I mean, always, it's always important, but, you know, in the context of, like, the war on terror, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, you know, after 9-11, it just seemed like no one was watching carefully, and so I was sort of using the imagery of the meerkats to... Um, to talk about that or to like have this sort of visual representation of someone who's watching building on that point just because it's super interesting and i want to make sure to just um grow that out a bit so when you're talking about watching at that context i know that you were mostly in new york after 9 11 uh working as a printer and various projects you were doing there what do you mean by watching? And like, I, I understand from what you're saying, I'm guessing that you're talking about social movements, watching the powerful in terms of what they're doing in terms of passing legislation in terms of like the, the attacks on rights of different communities, like after nine 11 became so normalized, a lot of migrant communities. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing from what you're saying, but yeah. Can you draw a bit out what you're talking about, about like the symbolism of watching and the role that activists play in that? I was actually in Halifax at the time I was doing my undergrad at NASCAD, but I mean, we felt obviously the reverberations of that same crackdown on dissent 
and any kind of like uh, basic rights in Canada as well with the forget what it was, C-32 or something, C-37, the anti-terrorism bill. Um, but for the, for the watching, yeah, I am really thinking about like a critical eye that is critiquing because it's critiquing like and trying to like, um, like rein in all of the crazy shit that happened on 9-11 or after 9-11, uh, mostly with the like taking away of rights and just like surveillance state and all of these things that seemed like almost unimaginable before that happened. And it felt like, it felt like everyone was so wrapped up in this, um, like fear mongering that no one was having a, a critical, I, I mean, aside from activists who were of course looking at this critically and being like, this is, you know, really, really messed up and it's going to reverberate for who knows how long. Um, so yeah, I was trying to represent, uh, like, it was almost like a warning, you know, like we should be watching, uh, because this is like all around us is dangerous, sort of like closing in, but not in the way that they are telling us, you know? I find that really important in the sense that there's an understanding that, say, for example, coming to uh, a sense that anti-terrorism bills post 9-11 were something to be uh, super engaged uh, with in terms of like campaigning against those bills. Like that was very important, right? Um, it seems obvious now, but at the time it wasn't really obvious, right? Like um, the anti-terrorism legislation was justified by all these, uh, uh, you know, discourses around like, oh, well, people are facing danger. Uh, you know, we want to protect communities. Um, you know, the the forces that are being battled are fundamentalist and violent you know and some people like even on the sort of center left fell into that right like and i remember there was all these protests planned against like corporate globalization that were canceled for example like against the imf and the world bank that they were just canceled because people fell into this sort of rhetoric around safety and i think one thing that street art always points to is like the this fact that social movements and activists actually need to do that work and take that time to experiment with ideas that are not the obvious conclusion that is being asserted by power right like that that like these interventions speak to the whole like power of social movements to like think critically and to say things that are outside of the parameters of like established political conversation about a particular point right and, you know, your street art has, uh, and posters and stuff, a lot of Just Seeds artists has have often, like, asserted things that might not be obvious at the moment, but become, over time, you know, as the social conversation changes, are more normalized, right? Um, yeah, so, I, I don't know, I'm just building on what you were saying. Like, in, in that sense, like, do you have any thoughts about, like, the importance of street art in representing that process and how important that process is like the grassroots critical engagement with ideas that is existing outside of the mainstream paradigm yeah i mean i think street art is always important in that way that people i mean i still respond way more to 
even even to posters and flyers that I do see on the street, then on social media. I don't know. At this at this time, we were like working pre-social media, so maybe it was even more important because um, people were more attuned to like postering, and you know, graffiti was uh, huge. Um, and street art, like sort of as we know it, like wasn't really. It wasn't like really a scene <laughs> in the same way it is now, but um, I do think it's really important because uh, visually it like it like conveys a message. I think that people do engage with it when it's like on the street in a in a different level than if it's on their phone um, or in some sort of like advertising capacity. You know, we're like so saturated with that um, these days. Yeah, and definitely I noticed like taking your misprints and like cutting them up like the ones or even just scrap paper from your studio and like making slogans around like migrant justice or against funding the police calling for defunding the police or solidarity with palestine or in support of indigenous land struggles right like people always responded when they see those expressions of like words that articulate these struggles up on the street yeah, it's just like a totally different response. Um, I also think, yeah, in a lot of ways, having them be in paper, the way that you cut them out was so different than, you know, we're used to seeing like graffiti sort of like, um, you know, either very beautiful or like roughly spray painted slogans. I think there was something like jarring in the best kind of way about seeing these like cut out letters because they're like, they almost reference, you know, stuff you do in like grade school you know, it, it has, like, a kind of, like, craft and, like, um, just, like, rough edge to it, but, like, really worked um, in the way also that that it's, like, you know, it's paper, so people know it's removable. They're not maybe immediately so angry that there's, like, uh, you know, graffiti on their building or <laughs> whatever. Uh, I just think it hit in a different way, which was, like, I was, like, yeah, surprised when you started cutting out the words, and then I was like, oh, this is, like, really working in a way that um, I can't even really articulate, you know? Yeah, well, also, it's, like, this idea that we can't respond to the totality of everything all the time, but sometimes, like, we feel things, or we're talking with friends, and we have certain responses, and it's good to just say something, but I think, for me, it was, like, important like also it legitimized saying something, having all this like paper from an artist friend to sort of cut it up and rework with it. It just opened that possibility for me. Like I wouldn't have gotten a bunch of purple and pink paper like randomly. Like I don't know even where to find that. Like I know there's paper stores and stuff, right? But just having that material created a, an opening to like, oh, well like, you know, you can experiment, right? Like so that... that so it's also like interesting because I think it shows like the community aspect of something, right? Like that, like you're experimenting with something, you have misprints, you pass it on, right? Like there's a trust in that, but there's also like a reimagination of like things don't die, things pass on, right? Like there's an ongoing conversation between community members, both in ideas, but also in materiality, like the 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 things that we do stuff with, right? And this is like the case in that paper, I think. But also beyond that, we had the chance to like collaborate on some specific prints, right? Like there was this struggle that I was trying to, you know, support as, as much as I could as like a community member around the Immigrant Worker Center of these Ghanaian 
um, asylum seekers in Canada whose struggle against deportation was like super undercovered and like people didn't really and still don't understand that there's like in different contexts, but in this case in West African country, Guinea, Conakry, there's all these issues that are forcing people to migrate, economic issues, political repression, all these layers, uh, mining companies stripping land and displacing people, um, Canadian mining companies specifically. So it was really like great to work with you on that poster because I also saw from the Ghanaians the fact that there is this poster speaking to what they're trying to talk about from an artist um, was really important to them. Um, but yeah, also we, we worked on that design together. We printed it together. Um, yeah. Like any thoughts about like the importance of artists trying to like respond to these community demands, why that's important or also any memories of trying to like come up with that design. I remember that you'd chosen like specific imagery for that poster for specific reasons. And we discussed the, fl the colors of that poster for the flag and stuff. Yeah, that's actually, that's one of the, my most favorite posters that I've made. Um, and it was like a super cool challenge. Um, but before I talk about that, I, yeah, I do absolutely think it's important for artists to like work with community. And I mean, work, I mean, a lot of activists art artists are out there and that's what they're doing also for movements is they're, Contribute, contributing their uh, like visual material um, that helps like depict what's going on or like you know further movement work which is you know how I like to participate as well and I know like so many Just Seeds artists are doing that all the time uh, which is wicked and um, and really really beautiful work that really can like sort of like speak to the issue that then can speak to people in a way that like words sometimes can't, you know, or that words and image images together do this like really special thing um, for conveying a message, I think. And, uh, but in that poster, yeah, I was, I was trying to respond to the, um, the Ghanaian flag. So like the colors from the flag, um, and then I wanted to represent the struggle, like specifically in Montreal, where where the um, where a lot of people are located and struggling against, you know, resisting deportation. Um, but I didn't want it to look super cheesy, you know. So I was trying to think of what represents Montreal uh, to me that wasn't, you know, the mountain, the skyline, or whatever um, other like thing we may think represents Montreal and so yeah that's how I came up with the stairway that like iron stairways which to me is always um like a signifier of Montreal and like home you know and also like nice. I didn't think about this at the time but thinking about those staircases it is also like a reference to someone's like physical home which you know these people are being forcibly removed from I wasn't thinking that before, but I'm thinking it now and it's cooler. Yeah, well, I think often, you know, a lot of people who would be very sympathetic to migrant justice issues maybe aren't aware that, like, Canadian state agents go to people's apartments and physically remove people and put them in trucks and then lock them up and deport them, right? Like, I mean, it might seem obvious to some people reading this or listening to this, but I think 
that is not explicitly said that much in the media that like Canadian border services or I believe they might have readapted their name recently, but the enforcement arm of Immigration Canada um, goes and physically removes people from their homes and um, by force. Um, so, yeah, I think that image of the home is really poignant for many reasons, um, not being one of them. Um, your projects have often involved uh, collaboration, like we've had the opportunity to collaborate and that's been awesome and i know that you've done all sorts of collaborations and that's pretty like a constant thread in the work of a lot of just seeds collective members but also many other community art institutions or networks also uh just seeds being more of a network um but yeah can you talk a bit about like the importance of collaboration in your practice and like and how that happens um maybe also uh, trusting that process, like not coming to a collaboration like with a fixed idea, but arriving at that um, exchange as an opening to explore. Yeah, definitely. I um, I sometimes think that I don't collaborate enough, and I want to do more. Um, but when I do collaborate, uh, I I usually find it super nice. Um, in the sense that, yeah, I do try to come. It's it's like less pressure for me because I don't come with a fixed idea. I'm not like it must be this and it like must be perfect, which is of course like my own shit. And um, you know I'll wrestle that by myself when I'm working uh, just alone. But when I'm collaborating, it just feels yeah, it does feel like there's you know two or more people come to the table with like an idea or a project that they're trying to make um, come together and then and then everything changes inevitably from like I might have one idea coming into it and it always turns out better in the end because someone else's brain brings something way like way more exciting to the mix and then the thing that comes out of like a few people working together I think is far more interesting than what I might come up with by myself um which is like sort of what i was like getting at as well with your lettering you know it's something that i would have never thought of um and who knows maybe you wouldn't have had thought about it in the same way if you didn't have this like weird paper that had all kinds of like textures and color on it um so that kind of like collaborating or like whatever everything changes once you start collaborating with someone if you can if you can actually collaborate openly you know um and even some of the conflicts and struggles that come out are like really fruitful i think like often within struggles right there's debates about how to go forward and that's sometimes expressed in art like if you go to justseeds.org website there's all these different prints about different manifestations of like you know it's not just about let's say um uh, Black Lives Matter or stop police brutality is about defund the police or abolish the police, right? There's various like layers to that critique of the policing institution. It's just like one issue that's come up a lot throughout the Just Seeds network, for example. Definitely. Hi, 
thanks so much for listening to this exchange. Uh, that was um, me, Stefan Christoph, talking with Christine Francis, who is an artist involved in the Just Seeds uh, Artist Cooperative. And um, I would encourage you to look up her work and more broadly the work of Just Seeds. Um, and this is a monthly artist interview series that broadcasts on Radio Hara. We air on the first Friday of each month. At, that's at radioalhara.net at 9.30 a.m. Eastern or 4.30 p.m. in Palestine. And we also uh, share this interview on CKUT on the third Friday of each month at 11 a.m. That's at 90.3 FM in Montreal. And on the second Tuesday of each month on CJLO, uh, also in Montreal at 16.90 a.m., and that's at 1.30 p.m. on the second Tuesday of each month. You can find my archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next month. <laughs>